everyone, and happy week 14 in the National Football League. My goodness, it's week 14 already. It's December already. We're just rushing through the year. Uh, this is Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire in the USA, USA Today Sports Media Group. And the guy over there is Greg Cosell with the nifty NFL Films hoodie. Pretty nifty, isn't it? I'm coveting it, yeah. You know what you know what an NFL Films and, is. And the price was right. Yeah, I know, right? Just grab it out of a box and there you go. <laughs> Well, let's grab our games out of the box, Greg. And this, you know, a couple weeks ago, might not have sounded like a compelling matchup, but I think it is. Uh, Los Angeles Rams and Baltimore Ravens. The Rams were 3-6 and six before their bye. They're now 6-6, six and six, second place in the NFC West, right on the cusp of the playoff hunt. And Matthew Stafford was particularly great against a Browns defense last week that has been up and down, but generally makes things tough for opposing quarterbacks. When you and I always talk on the phone the day before we do this to kind of set things up and the 70 yard touchdown pass to Puka Nakua with 408 left in the first quarter. This to me was a perfect example of why I love the, the intricacies of football, because I think we talked for 15 minutes on this one play and how, you know, Stafford had gone to Sean McVay and said, Hey, I have this check for when the Browns do this. And we were kind of debating and watching the play between us kind of like, okay, what, what did they see and what did they do with it? So um, let's, I, I know you were going to talk to some people maybe and see if you had any insight into what happened. Well, I also looked at the play again a number of times and a part of me, you know, when you see things like that, because there's so much, Doug, we don't know because right. we're not in the game planning, we're not in the meetings, you know, there's so many details that it's just not simply possible for us to know no matter how much tape we may watch or how much we know about what we see. There's and I just, read the transcript and Stafford just refused to give away his secrets. So yeah. Right. So, right. you know, there's just an entire process that goes into this each and every week with teams that we're not privy to. But in looking at it again, a couple of things just stood out to me. And I said to myself, maybe it's not as detailed and complicated as I'm making it out to be. Now, it might be, maybe it's not. But in looking at it again, a couple of things stood out to me. Number one was every defender was basically within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And there was no deep safety. Okay. Right. You know, the, really the deepest middle player was a linebacker, Taki Taki, mm -hmm. because the two safeties were each on mugged up on the ball on each side of the formation. So it's, it, it is possible that what Stafford saw was no deep safety, Taki Taki in the middle of the field, he knows from film study what Jim Schwartz does with his sort of cover three slash cover two invert looks. I was going to um, ask, is that inverted two? Uh, it could have been two. It could have been three. And the reason I think it, it – the reason I didn't think it was two, but I could be wrong, is because they rushed five. Now, okay. normally when you play cover two, you don't rush five. You rush four. That's really what cover two is. But okay. – there's so many variations now of coverages that I couldn't answer that with 100% certainty. But Jim Schwartz, even going back to his days with the Eagles, Doug, sort of had this sort of cover two, cover three, you know, you're sort of uncertain as to it's what very, it is based on, on yes. how it kind of plays out. We so, have discussed before this season that he is so good at that. Like, yes, and, and, and obviously for younger quarterbacks, it might pose a significant problem. Stafford's been doing this a long time, and he's – and he's pretty good. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I can't answer if it was cover two or cover three invert because 
as I said, both safeties were up on each edge, and they ended up being pass rushers, blitzers on the play. Yes. And the players who dropped deep were the outside corners. Right. Um, and so that's why that, I thought it was two. But yeah, what's that? That's why I thought it was in route. Yeah, and so it could have been two or it could have been three. Um, right. But either way, the point is, I'm sure sure what Stafford saw was all defenders within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. The middle defender was a linebacker. So, you know, based on that, he's thinking, okay, I'm lined up in a three-by-one set. I've got Nakua as, as number two to trips. Igby, um, Nakua, Cooper Cup. Right. If I send him on a, on a middle seam route – Unless there's some crazy late rotation, which then I have to deal with when I take the snap. But if there's no crazy late rotation, I'm going to have a linebacker running the seam with Nakua. And by the way, Taki Taki didn't do a horrible job. He kind of he did his best. Well, the ball had to be thrown quick too because um, the the defender the the edge safety from the side of trips um, ended up. you know, getting there, uh, be, you know, he, he got there pretty quick. It was Thornhill. He was sort yep. of unblocked off the field edge. So right. Stafford couldn't wait. He had to throw it a little earlier, which made it seem like Taki Taki had better coverage. If Stafford could have waited another beat and oh, made a yeah. different kind of throw, maybe a more over-the-top throw as opposed to kind of a firm touchline drive, Maybe it would have been a different play and a different throw, and it might st- still have been a 70-yard touchdown. But he had to get rid of the ball, so he had to get rid of it when Nakua was not quite you know, down, fully down the seam. But right. uh, it was just one of those plays you know, where you know, I just watched it over and over and over again, and um, I, you know, I just thought it was really cool. I'm going to give you my theory. Stafford saw something similar on an earlier play with 9.20 left in the first quarter. Three-by-one motion was to the other side after 2-2 Atwell motion to it, but it was another case where it looked like invert two, and again, the defensive backs blitzing off either side. It was Delpit and Martin Emerson this time. Yep. With that defensive look, uh, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromaru was responsible for extending out as the flat defender to the offensive right side. Stafford still got the ball to Nakua on that side. My guess is when Stafford saw a defensive back in a blitz look again, he took note and recognized that the underneath defender to that side, whoever is playing linebacker depth, would have to take the flat right away. On the 70-yard path, the responsibilities changed because it was 3 by one to the right side. Now Emerson was responsible for the flat. Taki Taki had to take Nakua wherever he went, which was exactly what happened. And then Khalif uh, Halasi was giving the help up top to that side. But that gave Nakua the room for his release. I wonder if they identified something from that previous play. It's very possible. Like if we have two corners deep and two DBs blitzing, okay, we kind of know not only what they're going to do, but if we do, if we run three by one to that side, what the defensive responsibilities then have to be. And by the way, we will put this play up. Otherwise, people will be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, we'll because the even if the corner to, to the trip side, was that yeah. how, was that how Lassie? On the the 70-yarder? Yes. I mean, you know, even if he went more into the middle, like if he he rotated hard into the middle, I don't know if he still would have gotten there, but, you know, it might have made it a a tighter throw. But, you know, because he was on the outside. He was over number one. So, right. um, and he he may have had to stay there because Cup's flat route may have gone vertical. So maybe his first thing was like, "Don't let Cup." Just well, unless you're going to have the flat defender run with with Cup vertically, right? Which you, you know. could, but you you know, again, 
Probably not, but you know, th- this is this is the chess match of the game. And don't forget, Jim Schwartz has been doing this. This is not a brand new concept for a team, either for McVeigh, for Stafford. This is what you're studying when you study a Jim Schwartz defense and you do all your, your game planning and preparation. He's been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I don't have metrics on invert anything, but I would imagine Schwartz does the most of it in the league. Yeah, he's done it for years. You go back to Philly, he did it all the time. We used to, I used to have discussions with, you know, um, Matt Bowen and I used to discuss it. Um, uh, with others, I would discuss it. You know, is it is it cover two invert? Is it cover three invert? You know, it, it, and again, obviously he knows what it is, um, but it's it's hard to tell sometimes. I wrote an article on those two plays, and I said of Stafford, it's nice when your quarterback has a rocket arm. It's even better when he's a rocket scientist and Stafford. But, you know, it also speaks to one point that I think people need to be aware of. Quarterbacks do not have to read seven guys. No one can do that. Okay? So Stafford comes to the line of scrimmage, and what does he see? He sees no deep safeties. Now, he knows by the look it's not zero, just by, by the rest of the look. You know, he knows that it's not likely zero coverage. But – he also knows there's no deep safeties. And who does he see in the middle of the field? He sees a linebacker. So really, he, it's, he doesn't have to read seven guys, which is impossible, as I said, anyway. So, and I've learned that from, you know, talking to quarterbacks, working with quarterbacks. You know, it's, we get caught up in, you know, what's the, what's the complete coverage? Is, is it this? Is it that? Is, you know, what's this guy? Some of that stuff's not relevant to quarterbacks. They don't have to see everybody. I mean, I've had numerous conversations all through the years with coaches. And yes, is this simplified to some degree? Probably. But the way coaches talk is we need to know if the middle's open or the middle's closed. In other words, is it is it single high or is it too high? And we need to know what our blitz alerts are. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you don't need to know, you know, if you start complicating reads, um, it, it makes it too hard for the quarterback. Fractions matter, as you like to say. Yeah, it just gets too hard. You know, you can't complicate the reads. You know, it's yeah. it's because otherwise they can't play. It's it. You can't be thinking the game as you're dropping back. You've got two to two point five seconds for the most part to get rid of the football within the timing and structure of the play call. So you you know it 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 has to just happen kind of innately and naturally based on everything you studied. You can't be taking the snap and then thinking. Uh, which segues very well into this particular matchup because it's the Ravens defense. So whether it's open or closed and who's blitzing, you really don't know. And <laughs> they just had a buy, so we haven't talked about their defense in a while. Um, but Mike McDonald, I mean, he, he is as good as anyone at clouding the picture. Um, he's, I mean, David Clowney's probably having the best season of his Without career. question. He looks like a totally different player. Justin Matabike is an absolute – I think he's in a contract year, too, and hello. Uh, that guy's, you know. But Geno Stone has been uh, – he has the second most interceptions this year with six. There's more that matters to that. He's behind Deron Blend of the Cowboys. We'll get into that difference in a minute. But he's been a smart and effective third-level player. Um, Kyle Hamilton is going to star in both coverage and as a blitzer. Uh, highly effective with blitz and drops looks with linebackers Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. And this is a deep – we were talking about uh, Steve Spagnuolo's defense a couple weeks ago about how they they switch their fronts, they switch their coverage at the same time. So it's at two different levels that you don't really know what you're getting. And with the Ravens, it's three different levels. So I'm not – Stafford can read anything out. I mean, he can – but this is going to be a test. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, obviously, Clowney's having a great year. I mean, and he looks totally different on film. He looks leaner. He looks quicker. He's bending more than he ever really has because he was always kind of straight line stiff, right. which is why he was never a great pass rusher. Well, and they used to spinner at middle linebacker depth, too. Yeah, this year he's become a, a, a very good pass rusher. Um, yeah. But but my point is this: defensive lineman or defensive lineman. He, Clowney's having a great year. We've talked about Matabuke before. He's really good. But they're defensive linemen. They're not going anywhere. You, right. I think based on tape study, you can make the argument that the three defenders who are the key to what they do are the two linebackers mm-hmm. and Kyle Hamilton. I would agree. Kyle Hamilton is essentially their slot corner now. In addition to doing other things, but he's right. essentially their slot corner as a 6'4", 215-pound safety, and he's capable of doing that. It's why he was my number one prospect in his draft class, because you don't get that. That combination no. is weird. And and so I would argue, again, like I said, you know, taking nothing away from the way Geno Stone's playing, and he's been a revelation, really yeah. good player um, playing on the back end, although he doesn't play on the back end uh, if they're in base, because then you have Marcus Williams and you have Hamilton. So he he basically plays in 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 nickel, and they're not a dime defense. So he plays in nickel, Geno Stone, even though he's having a really good season. Um, but uh, you know, so that would be the point I would make is that it's really been the linebackers and it's been Kyle Hamilton. If you're if you're thinking tactically, because like right. I said, defensive linemen are going to play on the defensive line. You know, <laughs> that's where they are. Uh, and they're getting, you know, obviously really quality play, but but you know, it's 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 a difficult defense to play against. It's a fun matchup, and I I, I would love to know after the t- call that conversation about checks, like what kind of checks they're going to have against that defense, because man, they throw every pitch at you. It's really cool. Uh, Seahawks 49ers, These teams played on Thanksgiving night. 49ers won thirty one to thirteen. Looked more like fifty to nothing. <laughs> Seahawks were just out of their depth. Um. I wanted to get into, to a point, the, the offensive game plan San Francisco had um, against the Eagles. Uh, Brock Purdy, who came into that game with the NFL's third most completions of 20 or more air yards, 24, behind only Dak Prescott and C.J. Stroud, didn't throw a pass longer than 16 air yards, and all but two of his completions were outside the hashes. Debo Samuel caught four passes on four targets for 116 yards and two touchdowns, all but one of those yards came after the catch. The Eagles gave up 212 yards after the catch in this game. And this was interesting because of Purdy's increasing efficiency and explosiveness of the deep ball. Yak had not been a primary construct of this passing game. Through week 12, the Niners ranked 11th in yards after catch and 7th in yards after contact. After contact is a different thing. They're more about that. They were clearly working on Philly's linebackers and forcing them to play the perimeter. And uh, there was three plays we discussed uh, they also, I mean, we can get into plays, but get into, please, what the Niners did. And this was in the run in the pass game. They just abused the Eagles with four strong. They did abuse the Eagles with four strong. It was ugly. They went, they went four strong on eight of Purdy's 29 dropbacks. Six wow. of them came in the first half. Purdy was seven for eight for 78 yards and a touchdown. Um, Samuel was the featured motion player when they went four strong. Uh, What he did is he sort of started with jet and then he turned it into orbit. Um, And so uh, they they attacked, you know, when you play zone and you get four strong, meaning four to one side, four receivers to one side, that's really, really difficult to play in zone because there's just, you don't have enough people in zone to play that. Um, 
So, you know, they really caught them. I mean, a great example, um, uh, Kittle had a 25-yarder on first and 10 on their second TD drive. Um, I can't remember if this was – I think it was four strong, but um, it was a great example of how the 49ers use motion and run looks. I went back, and I don't think it was. I think it was three and two. Yeah, I think you're right. But but it was just a great example of what they do with motion and run looks with their own line. Uh, to play with eye discipline of second-level defenders because they really caught Ellis. I mean, he yep. reacted to Samuel. He reacted to the pulling offensive guard Burford. He lost his underneath his own coverage responsibility. Um, and all of a sudden, Kittle's wide open in a void with, with a lot of run-after-catch room. Um, yeah. So, you know, the Niners are so good with those kinds of things, but they really got them with four strong in this game. And, that, and I, you know, I'm seeing that around the league more and more. More teams are using four strong because, you know – with with a greater emphasis, of course, on theoretically the Vic Fangio style of defense, although that's becoming a catchphrase just like West Coast offense. Yeah. But the point being is that a lot of teams start in a quarters structure and a zone look. And, you know, for a strong, it's, you've got to really bump a lot of people over uh, because yeah. you just don't have enough bodies to, to play for strong in zone. Yeah. Uh, the up and go to Christian McCaffrey, you mentioned this with 1229 left in the third quarter. I don't think this was four strong either. Niners were an offset pistol with McCaffrey to Purdy's left. The cool thing I liked about this play, McCaffrey switched his position from slot space to kind of slot spacing, but still at backfield depth. I don't think this changed anyone's responsibility. It was cover one. So I think Morrow was going to take McCaffrey no matter what with Broby on Ayuk on the seam route. But it was another example of how the 49ers just use little wrinkles to beat you to the punch. And this was such just a different game plan. So Seahawks defense, hello, here come the alerts, guys. You're you're <laughs> you're in. Front. Yeah, I thought that this play worked off the knowledge that they gained three plays earlier on on a, an 18 yard completion to Jennings, which is the first oh. third down of the third quarter. It was third and five. Um because Morrow, the linebacker, was in a mugged alignment up on the ball, and okay. um, uh, he bracketed McCaffrey on on the staple angle route that McCaffrey normally runs. Um, sure. And I think they they kind of glean that knowledge that uh, you know Morrow is going to play him, and that he's going to react to uh, you know either the angle route or an outcut. You know, because those a lot of those are sort of option routes or choice routes. Right. So they glean that knowledge, and then they. Um, uh, they called the, the McCaffrey play, and you could see Morrow. He had squared up looking for the angle route inside or the outcut. I mean, he was ready to jump either one, and obviously <laughs> that neither one happened. Here's um, option three, guys. Yeah, McCaffrey, uh, you know, cut outside and then ran the wheel, and, and Morrow was stuck. You know, but yeah. that's – you know, and we talked about that with the Niners, I believe, last week, but I know we I was just going to say this before. goes back to our se- sequential play-calling discussion. Yeah, about how you learn it, things from plays and you bank it and you come back to it. Yes. And I think the Niners do that as well as any team in the league. They're not an individual play offense. They don't call plays with the idea, oh, this is a really cool play. I mean, everybody does that at times. We know that. But I think Shanahan is much more about – gathering information through his use of motion, through his use of, of formations, through his use for strong. How are teams going to play all these different things that we do? And I, we, we, we research, we gather, and then we bank it, and then we come up with plays that attack what we've learned. Yep. 
I would love to talk more about the Niners defense right now, but uh, I just wanted to get back into one thing that happened. And I, I watched Charvarius Ward, who I'm liking more and more, like every week he's just stacking wins for me, uh, versus DK Metcalf on Thanksgiving night. Ward traveled with Metcalf quite a bit, allowed four catches on 11 targets for 44 yards, several pass breakups. Yep. Metcalf had his catches on quick comebacks or slants as opposed to vertical routes ready to deal with Ward one-on-one. The interesting thing about that matchup was that Ward covered Metcalf on the offensive left side through the first half. Seahawks moved Metcalf over to the right in the second half, and Ward just moved over and kept shutting him down. Yeah, I don't no, know, yeah I don't Ward know, had a really good game. Yeah, I don't know if Ward had been a traveler or a one-side guy before that. Maybe the Seahawks were trying to get him away from Ward. But Ward just like, okay, I'll move over there and just keep doing this. No, stuff. Ward's done that. Uh, okay since he's been with the Niners on occasion. They don't okay. do that every week. Um, you know, depending on the opponent, uh, Ward is the left corner, and um, Lenore or uh, now um, Thomas is the right corner. Um, but they do do it at times. Um, and Lenore is more the slot guy now. Well, they're a nickel, obviously. But he, right. Lenore plays in their base. Sure. So um, uh, against the Eagles this past week, they played literally almost every snap in nickel, and Lenore was the slot. And they didn't match Ward on Brown most of the game. So they did it again this week. Yep. Um, so just, you know, uh, Geno Smith was really good against the Cowboys, I thought. But the Niners gave him stuff to do with that the Cowboys didn't. And we'll get into that right now. Uh, well, the real interesting thing about that game to me was the Cowboys had no sacks, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's I don't think Geno Smith yeah, had well, Gina, well, no, uh, yeah, because Gina was getting the ball out really quick. We had talked about that. About how yeah. The only sack came on they tried, tried that trick play, and I think it was DJ Dallas that got DJ sacked. DJ Dallas, yeah. When you have DJ Dallas crossing the formation to block Micah Parsons one-on-one, maybe throw that out and come up with something else. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Gino – Pete Carroll, Shane Waldron, and Gino had all said, I need to get the ball out quicker. And for the most part, he was getting the ball out really quickly. And he was really good on third down against the Cowboys, which, you know, in many ways is a surprise, but he was 8 for 12 for 146 and a touchdown. He obviously threw the one interception. Uh, We can get into that in a moment, too, because it really, to me, it really impacts the Eagles game as well in a very meaningful way because the interception was by Deron Bland, but he was not sacked in the game against the Cowboys. Right. We're going to talk about Bland in a minute. Um, yeah, when Gino's on, I mean, he's he's a you know the precision intermediate to deep is you know is about as good as anybody, <clears throat> and he was on in that game. Alas, uh, they did not win. So Eagles Cowboys 49ers had twenty 49ers had total twenty eight total pressures of Jalen Hurts in that game. They got twenty five of their pressures with just four rushers. So this was mu- as much or more about Hurts not finding interest downfield than it was about Philly's line just getting dominated. It was a factor, but it wasn't the factor. On Tuesday, Brian Johnson talked about Hertz's second sack, and we'll put this up. Happened at the end of a play where Hertz was hanging and hanging in the pocket. Johnson said that the problem was that running back DeAndre Swift got picked out of his flare control. Nick Bosa took him out with uh, Kelsey trying to block him too. They had had success throwing the deep stop route to Devontae Smith, and Smith did run that deep stop route to the front side. But guess who, Charverius Ward, was defending Smith tightly, and I believe it was quarters, and Hertz didn't turn it loose. One other thing, Nick Bosa mentioned after the game, and I listened to the audio, the whole defensive game plan was not to set the record for sacks, but to, quote-unquote, get Hertz's eyes on us. Bosa also said that they knew Hertz would run around and try to extend things, so they went into the week focused more on making Hertz try to do that than sacking him. They seemed to feel that this would present a more negative impact on their offense and just taking Hertz down. So this gets back into the whole thing of Hertz dropping his eyes to read pressure, get his eyes on us, that Bosa said, and not bringing his eyes back up. 
I, I thought Greg, because this had been a thing, I thought he had gotten better at it last year. Is he reverting or am I missing something? No, I think this year he's not been as good and he's been doing that more and more. Um, he's leaving a lot of throws on the field. I mean, they, they've had some really good designs with the receivers open. He's not turning it loose. Um, either he's not seeing it uh, the right way, he's not processing it, it's not registering it, but there have been throws to have been made in a number of games recently, and Jalen Hurts is is not, he's not turning it loose, he's not seeing it. Um, and I, I found Bosa's comments fascinating because I thought that watching the tape for a number of weeks, that he is clearly leaving the pocket prematurely clearly and normally that happens you know you perceive pressure that's not really there by nfl standards and he does tend to drop his eyes and basically nick bosa just validated that point because the film showed they knew that going into the game his comment wasn't made off the cuff they they did that intentionally because they saw that going into the game that he drops his eyes and nick bosa was very specific about what the plan was and why right and, and that's exactly usually so for a player to say it, it like, I'm, wow, he's being really like forward about this. Yeah. Which is surprising that he was, but he's right. Obviously yeah. um, he's, you know, they're studying it. Don't forget a lot of that came from his coaches too, you know, yep. uh, who are studying it, you know, in more detail than Nick is. And th- they presented it to the defensive line. Hey, here's how we want to play. Now, once they got ahead by a reasonable amount in the late third and fourth quarter, they decided to turn the dogs loose a little bit. But the clear game plan was that we were going to get close enough to him to make him drop his eyes and to make him perceive pressure that's not really there and to react and move prematurely to break the timing of the pass game down. And then, yeah, will he make a play once in a while? Sure. But you can't live off that. Um, And, you know, the thing is we've become so – uh, so much believing in in the quarterbacks that make these special off schedule plays that we think that that's just going to happen as a matter of course, Doug. And and you know you just can't rely on those. You're seeing that with the Chiefs as well. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes has not been making as many this year, and their pass game has kind of well because uh, half you know, the time he doesn't know what the hell route his receivers are running. But well, we don't know that. We don't know that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is, you know, that's and no knock on you, but that's an easy thing to say, and we don't yeah, know, know that. You know, I mean, Jordan Love is playing with two second-year and three first-year quarterbacks. He seems to know what routes they're running. So that's an easy thing to say. Um, We don't know any of that. Um, So the point is, is that, you know, it's just too hard to have to to, to feel that, hey, off-schedule, second-reaction movement, individual plays are the way we're going to be able to play offense on a weekly basis, you know. So – you know, I think Jalen, you know, I, again, I don't know how you work with that. I'm not a coach. Um, it's a very fine line, though, because you don't want to take away, you know, Jalen's ability or other quarterbacks' ability to make those special plays. But I mean, on the other hand, you've got to run your offense. You know, the first play of the game, he had Jack Stoll wide open on a sail route, looked mm-hmm. right at him. I don't yeah. know why he didn't throw it. Only he could tell you that. But, you know, the designs are there. There's nothing wrong with the designs of the pass game. It's there. He's just – it's not registering somehow. Well, I know that Russell Wilson has had a problem dropping his eyes for his entire career, and I can tell you that – Did you never, watch him this week? Yeah. Uh, it was It was not pretty. It was rough. It was rough. But just in a, in a, in a specific sense. I mean, fourth and one, Jerry Judy still running, wondering where the ball is. 
I know. Well, j- j- to get to your point about how do you fix it, I mean, and, and maybe they can. I don't know it. if you can fix it in but, a true strict sense other than the quarterback just playing more and feeling more comfortable because you can point it out to him. You can say, Hey, we're designing this. You know, we believe based on this design that we're going to get, you know, so-and-so open, you know, you can go through all that, but if the quarterback drops back and doesn't turn it loose, I don't know what you do. Well, my point, this is Russell Wilson's what 12th year in the league. Yep. I mean, you know, it's a, and, and I mean, you could even argue that on the second to last play of the game, the play before the interception, he left the pocket too early as well, and he yes, had he Judy on a pivot route for a yeah. walk-in touchdown. Well, this is you know, as great as he has been at times, this is what has driven people nuts at times. Um, yeah, that's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, so we mentioned what Charverius Ward did to DK Metcalf. Now let's talk about what Metcalf did to Deron Bland last Thursday night. Bland leads the league with eight interceptions and he set the single season record with five pick sixes. Uh, he was targeted a lot more in Dallas's last two games against the commanders and the Seahawks. In those two games, he's allowed 19 catches on 23 targets for 279 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and an opponent pass rating of 103.3. He struggled against Metcalf specifically, and the content, the contrast between how he played Metcalf and how Ward played Metcalf was interesting. 73-yard Metcalf touchdown with 737 left in the first quarter. It looked like quarters where safety Donovan Wilson didn't help up top. Maybe that wasn't his responsibility. I don't know. And Bland just was not in a place to defend Metcalf's quick outside slant because he's, you know, seven feet tall and he runs a 4-140. It's just like, Ike. And Bland got exposed in that game. Bland is a certain kind of corner. The large majority of his interceptions come when he's in off coverage and he almost doesn't get out of his pedal at all and he drives on routes. He does a really good job of playing off the fact that they've got a very good pass rush and he anticipates that the ball's going to come out. When that doesn't happen and he has to play, like the Metcalf's long touchdown, he was sitting, squatting, flat-footed, and you know Metcalf actually did a really good job running his route, um, which Metcalf has not always done this year, by the way, when, when the corner's been playing a little bit inside. Sometimes Metcalf does not do a good job, but here he just crossed Bland's face, and Bland was not in position to play it. He was stuck. He was flat-footed. But Metcalf's been – excuse me, Bland's been beat a lot this year. It's a – he's it, – He's a very interesting player because he's really good at one thing that's resulted in the in the large majority of his interceptions, but he gets beat a lot. The Eagles will go after Bland. He's a beatable corner. Is that an A.J. Brown matchup or a Smith? Well, Smith caught a touchdown against him in the uh, week nine when okay. Bland was actually in press, and um, uh, Devonta Smith ran a stutter go, and mm-hmm. he it was a great throw by Jalen Hurts. Great throw, one of Hurts' yeah. best throws of the season. But but he still beat him. Smith still beat him. Um, but no, teams are going after him because, you know, if you can protect against the Cowboys, and obviously the the Seahawks did because Smith was not sacked and the ball was coming out. But um, if, if you can protect, Bland is a beatable corner. Yeah, Metcalf on that play after the game. I just saw the ball in the air and nobody was in front of me. Which I wonder if that crossing the face thing is a way to get him away from being able to jump those routes. Well, you know, it, it, it depends on the route, obviously. Sure. Um, you know, he's, he jumps a lot of out routes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's, I mean, the touchdown he had, I believe, on Thanksgiving against uh, Sam Howell was a perfect example of what Bland is. That was yep. the record breaker. You know, he just, he, the thing is, he sits, he doesn't really pedal. He just sits and he waits and he, then he plants and drives. That's mm-hmm. what he does. Um, but 
you know, there were also plays in that game against uh, the commanders where um, I forget who it was. It might have been Samuel ran a great route and beat him. Um, But guys are beating him. You know, like I said, he's really good at what he does. But beyond that, don't forget, he was a slot corner initially. He's playing outside because of the injury to Diggs. Um, The Eagles will go after him. Now, I don't know how it will turn out, but they will go after him. Well, he's been targeted so much more in the last two weeks, and this is yeah. one of those things where you, you know, coaches will tell you what they think of players by what happens on the field. Yeah, exactly. This, so this is a statement. They're targeting a, him. What'd you say? Twenty-three targets the last two weeks. Twenty-three targets the last two weeks. That's and he's given up nineteen catches for two forty-one. Yeah, two touchdowns, two picks, and uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's yeah, Easter famine. Yeah, and you know he's what a second year guy. I mean he's he's putting it all together. Oh yeah, right yeah, no, no, he's not a bad player at all. He's actually we're, we're talking the way coaches are going to talk the way they're game planning does. Yeah. you know, for people listening, this is not not a knock on. This is not a personal statement about Deron Bland. This is what's happening. You know, as as we, we, we you and I talk on on a Wednesday every week. As as uh, the Eagles are game planning this week, there's no question that they're saying, hey, if we protect, we can go after Deron Bland. There's no question they're saying that. Yeah. Uh, hats it to Mina Kimes on NFL Live, ESPN's NFL Live, for bringing this up. Jalen Hurts has the NFL's most dropbacks against two high coverage this season, 214. He's been really good against it. But he had uh, – this is going through the Super Bowl. He had 179 dropbacks against two high last season. Is this a reflection of the Eagles' run game? What do you think that the root – well, there's way more to that than just saying too high because, right. you know, too high can mean a lot of things and be sure. a lot of different coverages. So, you know, don't forget if you're playing true quarters, let's say, safeties are involved in the run game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that needs a lot more explanation than those numbers. Um, okay. No knock on Mina Kimes. I mean, it just, oh, no, needs, no, no. it just needs more explanation than those numbers. So I don't know exactly what that means without seeing all the plays. Okay. Um, now, I will say this. The Eagles have clearly not run the ball with the volume or the productivity this year that they did a year ago. Only they know why that's the case. Um, When they have run the ball, other than a few times this year, they have not been as effective. I think the tape tells you that their O-line is not playing with the same physicality and tenacity that they did a year ago. Um, no, they're getting same, driven back. They were getting driven back against the Niners too. Often. Yeah, so I mean, same group with the exception of Jurgens, obviously. Um, so at right guard, so you know, guys are just not playing as well. A lot of the same guys. I don't think Dickerson has played quite as well this year as he did a year ago. Um, so you know, it's easy to say, well, they just got to come out and run the ball. You know, that's easy to say, but uh, it, you know, you know how offensive coaches are, Doug. The, the thing about the run game. Is and, and particularly the Eagles have not gotten ahead this year the way they did a year ago. So it's a lot easier to stay with the run game when you're ahead by two touchdowns or three touchdowns. When you're in close games, one score type games, and you run the ball and you get one yard and it's second and nine, you know, the, the, the offensive coordinator doesn't say, hey, let's keep running the ball. You know, so the nature of the games have changed and that changes the nature of what you call because right. the games are different. You know, it's like yeah, you're it's talking nice about ten and two, but they've had a second half or a first half end of the first half deficit in each of their last five games. They're four yeah. one of those games, but still, it affects how how you do things. It affects how you see the game, the flow of the game, how you call the game. Um, so it's always easy to say, "Hey, we just got to get physical." You know, that's again, the, a lot of things can be said. Um, right. 
And, you know, and, and of course, that's what we all do. You know, there's 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 5,000 people talking football now. And, you know, we're just two guys talking ball. But yeah. a lot of things can be said, you know, it's and it's easy to say, but right. it's not quite it's not quite that simple. Right. I refer back to my dumbass comments about the Chiefs. Uh, so Cowboys. Well, are, I, I didn't mean to knock you, but oh, I, no, think no, you no. I, I, I think I, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, course. yeah. Of course. Uh, so Cowboys offense refresher. We talked about him two weeks ago. More empty, more motion, more play action. Dak is killing it to every area of the field. Yep. This started after their week seven bye, and since then Prescott has completed 70.6% of his passes with 8.6 yards per attempt for 20 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a pass rating of 123.1. Last time I checked, that's pretty good. Now, Philly's defense, that might be a yikes. Uh, and the Cowboys, uh, yeah. So you're, That's been you're, another issue. Yeah, no, no one wants to talk it, about that. I, you know their defense this year. It is spit and bailing wire, man. And Let you me have tell you down numbers that are scary. Last year they led the NFL in sacks. Last year they led the NFL in third down sacks. Okay, their 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 pass rush was the dominant feature of their defense a year sure. ago. This year, they have the fewest third down sacks in the NFL, and they're the worst third down defense in the NFL. So. You know, their defense is a major issue as well here. And yeah. Prescott, you know, beginning with, with the Eagles game week nine, which they lost, but the Cowboys offense was really good. Prescott has been outstanding. Now, they've increased their use of empty formations quite a bit in those yes. five games. Um, you know, their O-line, Tyron Smith has looked like he did five years ago. He's playing at, at a really, really high level. Um, and, you know, when they played the Eagles week nine, he stoned Josh Sweat. Josh Sweat has not been as good in the last month or so as we know he can be. And neither has Reddick. They've not been able to rush the quarterback. And the problem is, if you can't rush the quarterback, you know, they might have to think about ways, Doug, to scheme pressure. Because the problem is their corners are not playing very well either. And the issue in the NFL is, and a lot of people are starting to come around to this, is that corner is the most important position on the field because you can't cover bad corner play. You can always scheme pressure, but you can't cover bad corner play. So the Eagles might have to start thinking about scheming pressure, but then who are they going to be the blitzers? They've struggled at the linebacker position. You know, they just signed Shaq Leonard. And again, I don't know Shaq Leonard. You know, I, I watched his tape. He certainly didn't stand out. He obviously got beaten out by EJ Speed. They're a team in the playoff hunt, the Colts. Uh, we'll probably be talking about them at some point soon, depending on. We need to start talking about their defense in a big hurry. They're second in the league in sacks, by the way. Yep. Um, and just, just you know, if they win this week against Cincinnati, they'll be eight and five, and we'll start talking about them. We'll but talk the point, about them next week, probably either way. <laughs> yeah, but the point I'm making is that you know Leonard couldn't beat out EJ Speed because the Colts are in a playoff hunt, and you you'd like to believe that the coaches are going to play the best players and they didn't believe that that Leonard was one of their two best linebackers right now. So I'm not saying he's done. I don't know that. And I would never say that, but clearly, you know, I think, I think in Philly people think they're getting Fred Warner and they're probably not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that Eagles defense, that's <laughs> not the time to be facing Dak Prescott. Uh, finally Packers versus giants on Monday night. And the reason, reason I want to bring this up, uh, you said to me on our phone call yesterday, I want to talk about one quarterback who's playing. Before you even finished your sentence, I knew it was Jordan Love. And I want to talk about Jordan Love versus the Blitz specifically. Only the Vikings have a higher Blitz rate this season than the Giants. 
but the Vikings have allowed 10 touchdowns to two interceptions and an opponent pass rating of 114.5 when sending five or more rushers. And I'm going to count five because the more five-man pressures I'm seeing, you know, I, I don't want to take five out of the equation. I know we've talked yeah, about Yeah, the blitz is, is, is a tough thing because of the opponents. There's right. a lot of teams now that play five-man fronts and they rush five. I personally, I know that all the metrics, all the, the statistical websites count that as a blitz. I do not count it as a blitz if a team lines up, you know, let's say in a five, you see a lot of times now play five, one nickel with five D linemen, one linebacker, and they play nickel. I don't view if they rush those five as a blitz. I know it's counted as such. So, you know, I think you have to look at, at what, you know, who they, who they're playing. Yeah. But, the yeah but, but overall, Love has been playing really, really well. And the, the Giants' defense has covered well. And that's, you look at the metrics now. Two of the five picks they have in five-man pressures came against the Patriots in Week 12 when Matt Jones threw that cross-body pick that Bailey Zappi later perfectly replicated. I don't, still don't know how that happened. And the pick six to uh, linebacker Bobby Okereke. Another one's that Sam Howell WTF throw in Week 11 in the fourth quarter. So this is another case, as always, where you have to watch the interceptions. Correct. Jordan Love against the Blitz this season, and I wanted to bring up two plays. He's he's played really well against the Blitz. Uh, did you see the 27-yard completion to Dontavian Wicks against the Chiefs with uh, early in the second quarter? Yeah. Four-man front with Willie Gay and Jack Cochran showing off-ball pressure looks. Cochran dropped, Gay blitzed. So it was a four-man front with with a five-man blitz. Made it a four-on-four to Love's front well, side. Well, you're talking about the 27-yarder on second and eight on yeah. the second possession? Yeah. Yeah, the Chiefs were in three three five big nickel. Connor with Connor, they went to cover three. Right, and Chanel was the uh, the defensive left side edge. Yeah, uh, they went they went with a vertical route concept that had a high low element. Wicks ran the deep crosser and running back Taylor off the run action released into the flat. That was a big time throw by Love. He it really was. And then Love's, yeah, Love's second touchdown pass to Christian Watts with 528 left in the third quarter. And Love talked about this after the game. About, you never know when the Chiefs are going to bring it when they weren't. They brought a seven-man pressure look with six. Yeah, that, was, yeah, that was zero out of nickel. Yeah. Gay yep. dropping. Love had pressure from Karlaftis from his front side. He had to abbreviate his throwing motion because of that. He couldn't go full through. But he made a great throw to Watson over the head of cornerback Joshua Williams. So that that, that – you know, that nugget in a larger sense of how Jordan Love is playing now. Well, I'll tell you what I loved about that play. What I loved about that play, and I learned this from, I think, probably from Bill Walsh, um, is if you watch that uh, play carefully, he knew that he was getting zero pressure. And if you notice, he sped up his drop tempo because he knew he had to get away from the bodies. See, right. that to me is a subtlety and a detail of the position that not a lot of guys do. He, he had to speed up his drop tempo, and he did so because he knew that there'd be people coming for him, and he yep. wanted to make sure he had enough space to make the throw, and he did. And by the way, he put the ball exactly where he yep. needed to put it high and away because Williams is a big corner. Right. I thought I was seeing Dwight Clark there just doing his thing. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. You know, and the other thing that, that says a lot about how love has progressed is um, – as, as that game went into the late third and fourth quarter, because they never, you know, that game was close. It was. Um, notice that LaFleur stayed aggressive with Love throwing the ball in the fourth yes. quarter. He didn't yes. back off from having no. Love be the one who was in charge. And you can tell, I've been reading uh, and listening to LaFleur's comments about Love over the This goes back to the Thanksgiving Day game against the Lions, where he just has he trust, confidence, 
you know, everything's the things you want a coach to say about a quarterback. If you're certainly, if you're a fan of that team, yeah, that's, love, that's really in, improved. I mean, I think what love has done is just, you know, he's gotten incre- incrementally better every single week. And, and I don't want people to think he's never going to make a bad play or have a bad game yeah. because of course that happens. You know, you know how it goes. Everything is, you know, is extreme one way or the other. If you say, hey, Love's playing well, then let's say he throws a bad pick. Oh, well, he stinks. Well, no. Is he going? He's a very aggressive thrower of the football. He's going to make some bad throws. He's going to throw that interception where you go, oh, my God, who's he throwing it to? But he's clearly improving. He looks far more comfortable playing the position. And from a talent and traits perspective, Doug, he's really just a notch below the high-level guys. I mean, he's got a big arm. He's a big kid. He moves well. He's not a runner per se, but he can move. Um, he, he's, his talent level is pretty high. And we're seeing results of that. Well, Greg, I don't want to make you late for nearing an NFL matchup because uh, I imagine you've got people asking about you in a minute. So uh, great stuff as always. We had a lot to plow through this week because there are so many good games. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, Awesome stuff, as always, my friend, and we'll talk more X's and O's next week. Thanks, Doug.